right, good morning, church. If you'll turn in the Word to 2 Samuel, we're in chapter 22 this morning, and we're nearing the end of, of David's life. Um, as we get into this text this morning, we find that this is going to read very much like a psalm because it is a psalm. You're going to think that we are in the middle of the book of Psalms, and uh, this is a psalm that you may actually recognize. Not only is it recorded in first, or I'm sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 22, but this is also Psalm 18. There are a few differences in it, a, a few uh, different words that are used or sentences that are put in, but for the most part, these are identical psalms. And I believe that this psalm was written later in David's life. Uh, some people debate when he wrote this simply because of a section that we're going to get to, and I'll explain that in a little bit. But I believe this really uh, is where it needs to be in the book of 2 Samuel, because David is looking at the end of his life, he's looking towards the end of his ministry. When you look at his life, he has gone from being a shepherd boy to being king. Uh, what a journey it has been, and it's not been a journey that's been easy. When you look at the lives of the people in Scripture, you find that, that it's really amazing that so many of these folks, they struggle. They have the same issues that we have, and even greater issues than we have. We find that David wasn't just a king. He wasn't just a shepherd. He wasn't just a giant slayer. We tend to look at all of the things that happen in life and some of these characters that are the good things, the great things that occur. But we also see that he's a man who greatly struggled in sin. We came to a point in his life a few chapters ago with Bathsheba, with Uriah, that it really looked like the kingdom was going to come off of the rails, but he sought God's forgiveness. And God forgave him. And so as he looks back at all of his life, he puts this song together. And that's really what the Psalms are when you go back and look at them. It's a series of, of, of songs. It's a series of prayers that are given in the Scripture. And so this is going to be no different. This is a song. I spent uh, some time yesterday, uh, a lot of times uh, this time of year on the weekends, I'm doing a lot of weddings. And, and there's something about weddings that I love. I love when you get to the point at the reception where the couple comes in and they introduce them and they have their first dance, right? Because when they have that first dance, it's not like they just say, you know, find a song or they just flip on a radio station and see what pops up. They have chosen this song very carefully. You can look in the eyes of the couple and you can see that they're moved by the song that's being sung. And then it gets worse because then the father and the daughter get up there. And then you listen to the words of the songs that they have very carefully chosen. And all the women are crying, half the men are crying, and half of them are looking away from everybody so they don't cry. And then you get to the, 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 the mother and, and the son dance. And, and literally, there is this reality when you sit in a, a moment like that, that you realize the power of music. You, you realize that songs, that music, have this potential to absolutely impact us deeply. It's because music has this way of, of really expressing our hearts, expressing our feelings. It's like music. I mean, because let's be honest, how many guys in here, you remember making your girlfriend a mixtape? Well, let's say wife, so y'all aren't in trouble. Anybody ever do that? Am I the only one? Do y'all even remember mixtapes? Oh yeah, thank you. I know some of y'all have done it and the rest of y'all are lying because you did it too where you make all the songs that you want your girlfriend or, or your wife to know exactly how you feel because that's what music does. It is expressive and, and it shares our heart. And so we look at David's life and he wants to express gratitude and thanks to the Lord for the life that he has lived. As we said, he's been a shepherd. He's been a giant slayer. He's been a soldier. He's been a king. He's been a psalmist. And we know 
that he's been a sinner. But David has achieved true greatness. And when we talk about greatness, we're not talking about it as the world sees it, but I believe that the greatest thing that was said of him was that he had a heart like God's heart. And folks, you may not realize it, but I, I, you're going to see it in this text two times as we read through it, that he's going to say that, you know what, Lord, it's you that made me great. He doesn't take credit. He doesn't believe that he's great in and of himself, but he's going to look back at his life and he's going to see victory after victory after victory that God has won, even in the midst of all the trials and all the temptations and all the struggles that he faced. At the end of his life, he still looks and he sees the victory that God has given. And he sees the great kingdom that God has built and the throne that he rules upon. And he sees that all of his enemies have been put at his feet. Now, when we left the last chapter, what you find is that this probably is, is super appropriate that it be placed right here because it is the last time in David's life that we really see him facing a, a huge enemy like the Philistines or like Absalom or like any of the other threats to his kingdom that he's seen over and over and over again. As much as the kingdom of God grew under David, we recognize and we realize that the sword has been there through much of his life and much of his kingdom. And we know the struggles that he faced, but he said that, you know what? God has now stopped all the fighting, all the battles, and he has conquered the enemies that have been before him. So let's look this morning in 2 Samuel chapter 22, and, and let's read it together. We're going to start in verses 1 through 19. So let me read it to you. It says, And David spoke the words of this song to the Lord in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and my horn of salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, for I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction overwhelmed me, the cords of Sheol surrounded me, surrounded me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. Yes, I cried to my God, and from His temple He heard my voice, and, and my cry for help came into His ears. Then the earth shook and quaked, and the foundations of heaven were trembling and were shaken because He was angry. Smoke went up from His nostrils, fire from His mouth devoured, cold were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with thick darkness under his feet. And he rode on the cherub and flew and appeared on the wings of the wind. And he made darkness canopies around him, a mass of waters, thick clouds of the sky. From the brightness before him, coals of fire were kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High uttered His voice, and He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them, and the channels of the sea appeared. The foundations of the world were laid bare by the rebuke of the Lord at the blast of the breath of His nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. I want you to see first in this song that David wrote, he says unequivocally that the Lord protects. I don't know what your 
thinking is on God, because what your thinking is on God is going to shape the rest of your life, the rest of your actions. What you believe about Him shapes everything else about you. And there is this truth that we see something right off the bat with King David when we look at this psalm, when we look at this text, and that is that when he talks about God, he talks about it from a very personal perspective. If you notice, he's not saying he's a God or he's the God. What is he saying? What is he saying, church? He's saying he's my God. Look at the text. Look at what it says in verse 2. He says he is my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. When he looks at God, he is speaking from a personal, deep relationship with him. I hope that you realize that if you want to have the victory that David has, it comes out of a personal, deep relationship with Jesus Christ to where you can say, not in theory, God is these things. But I know from my personal life, I know from my personal experience, I know because I have repented and I have believed and I have followed Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and my Savior. He's not a God who's distant. He's not a God who's dead. He is alive and He speaks today and I know Him and He is these things in my life. Do you see God the way David sees God? He says, He's my rock. That means that when David had troubles, when David had trials, when David was running for his life, he knew where to turn. Most of us in our lives, we sometimes we forget. We don't know where to turn. When we hit trouble, we instead of turning to God, we turn to people, don't we? Sometimes, unfortunately, we turn to Oprah. Sometimes we turn to Dr. Phil. Sometimes we turn to the latest book. Sometimes we turn to, to just the, the common thinking in our culture and what is easily agreed upon by everybody around us. But the reality is, if you want to know what it means to be protected by God, then you've got to know where to run when you're in times of trial, when you're in times of of struggle. And he says, listen, I know where to run because God is my rock. He's my fortress. He is my refuge. I want you to think for a moment, church, what do you know about God? Do you run to him because you know he is your stability? He is your security. He is your safety. He is your sanctuary. He is your shield. I don't know about you, church, but there's nowhere else I'd rather be than in the presence of God, because I know that He is all of these things to me. Now, I want you to see what else this says. And not only is He all of these things, is our rock and our fortress and our shield, but He goes on and He says that He has saved us from our enemies. When we talk about the Lord protecting us, most of us fall short of a biblical understanding of what God means when He says that He is saved us. Sometimes we only get as far as, you know what, I, I, I'm a sinner and I'm going to die and go to hell one day and I just I need Jesus to save me from hell. That is the depth of our understanding of salvation. That's the depth of our understanding of what it means to truly be saved. You noticed in this text, he says, and it's one of the sweetest of the my things that are there, he says he is my Savior. We've got to grasp what it means and what it is that Jesus actually saves us from. He begins by saying that first and foremost, that he is a Savior, not just from hell, not just from death, but listen to what he says. He is a Savior to us from our enemies. 
You see, most of us go through life and we don't realize that there are enemies that we are facing each and every day. We feel the consequence. We feel the weight of what is happening because of the enemies in our life. But sometimes we don't really identify the fact that, you know what? The Bible says that there are enemies that we face. The world around us is an enemy. The world around us thinks differently than God says. It, it tells of a, a truth that isn't a truth at all. It's a falsehood that is set up against the truth of God. And the world is always whispering in our ear how we should act, what sh we should say, what we should do, what is right and what is good and what is not. We have this constant voice of the world talking and speaking to us. How do we overcome the world? Well, the Bible says that we overcome the world by our faith. We know God. We believe God. We trust God. And listen, God gives us victory over our enemy, the world. He gives us victory over the devil, does he not? You may not realize it because sometimes we give the devil more credit than is due him. You realize that the devil is a vanquished foe, that in the end he loses, that in the end, and not just then, but even right now, our God is more powerful than him. And I want you to realize that if we are in Christ, then that enemy has been defeated. And probably the greatest victory that occurred was the victory over what to me is really the hardest enemy of them all. And that's when you look in the mirror. We are the greatest enemy to ourselves sometimes because of our flesh, our lusts, our desires, our affections are in the wrong place. If you want to know what Jesus Christ has saved you from, it wasn't just hell, but he saved you from sin. He saved you from self. He saved you so that you could live a victorious life conquering sin. Most of us have come to the place where we just accept sin as part of who we are. It's just, as we say, it's just our humanity. Listen, Jesus came to be your Savior, my Savior, so that we could conquer sin. And you see, he did it because when we are in him, the Bible says that the old nature passes away and we've been given a new nature. That at the depth of our being, the core of who we are, everything changes when we are saved, when we are made new, when we're born again. Listen, the Bible says that we have the chance and the opportunity not just to continue living the way that we were, but we can live a new life in Jesus Christ. Why? Because He has saved us. I don't want you to miss out on the fullness, the completion of your salvation. You were justified one day. He forgave you of your sins. He said, you know what? Because of what Christ has done on the cross, you are forgiven of your sins. Because of what Christ has done, you can be in right relationship with God. There was a moment in time when we were made perfect before God because of what Jesus Christ did. And I want you to know that that changes everything else about our lives. There is a day coming one day when we'll stand before God perfected, literally that we won't be in the presence of sin. We'll no longer in any way know sin. But I want you to know that in between those two times, God is perfecting us. He is giving us victory. He is conquering the enemies that we face through the power of of the cross through the power of Christ shed blood. And I hope that you recognize today that you know what indeed, there is a victory to be had over my sin, over the enemy of the world, the enemy of the devil, the enemy of our flesh. And he says, not only has he saved us from our enemies, but he has saved us from death. He has saved us from destruction. 
because He's my Savior. He goes on and says, not only does He protect us as our rock and our fortress and our refuge, and not only has He saved us from our enemies, but I love how it says, beginning in uh, verse 7, that it says that He also hears us when we call. It's good to know that God isn't some distant deity. It's good to know that God isn't preoccupied with other galaxies or the changing of the seasons or anything else that we think that, you know, in our minds, how could God in all that is happening in a universe, in a solar system, and all that has been created when He's caring for the birds and He's caring for the flowers and He's caring for all of creation and all the planets that we don't see, we've never seen, the places that we can't even fathom that He has created, how in all of that space could He possibly care about me? Does God hear me? You know what the answer David says? Yes. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, yes, God hears. God knows. God sees. God is concerned for your life. And as he looks back on his life, he's remembering one fact that is absolutely true, that there was never a moment that he was alone. That there was never a moment that when he cried out to God that God heard him. It didn't matter if he was in a cave. It didn't matter if he was on the throne. It didn't matter if he found himself in the circumstance where he was with Bathsheba. And when the prophet confronted him, you could imagine that in that moment he must have thought to himself, will God hear me? Will God listen to me? Will God care? And then he heard the prophet's words when he said, you know what, because you've confessed, because you've prayed, because you have been willing to not blame God and blame everyone else, but you've taken responsibility, you've confessed your sin, guess what? God forgave him of his sin. And even in that moment, God heard his prayer. Now, believer, what I know is this, that God moves in power when his people pray. I believe that sometimes the reason we don't see God moving in power the way that we do sometimes in the Scripture is because of prayerlessness within our lives, within our churches, within us as a people of God. Folks, when we call upon God, He wants to move. He hears our voices. No matter whether the world wants to help, no matter whether the world says there is hope, God says, cry out to me. And when He hears from heaven, He moves in power. Sometimes you think about people like I do, my mother. And I think, how in the world can my mother or my stepdad be saved? They seem so distant. They seem so hardened towards the gospel. But you know what I cling to? The promise that the fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. You know what I'm hoping is that, you know what, I look at that situation and I have to be honest with myself. I don't know what I can do. I don't know how I can change it. I don't know what I can do to open up a heart of an individual except preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as I preach the gospel of Christ and as I pray, you know what I believe? That God is absolutely powerful enough to break down whatever the barriers are there. And for her eyes and for Larry's eyes, to be open to the gospel. I can't do it, but I know that he can do it. 
And so I do the only thing that I know that I can do. The only way that I can do something that could melt a heart is to simply get on my knees before God and to ask him to do what I cannot do. And I love that I have the promise that, you know what? When I pray, he hears me. And when he hears me, he moves in power. When you look at what he says about our victory, that not only does he hear us when we call, but he wins our victory for us. I love David's attitude towards the Lord because he's recognizing, you know what? It doesn't matter whether I'm a great warrior. And David is a great warrior. He's a gifted warrior. He's a trained warrior. But you know what the reality is? There's not one victory that will ever be won unless God is in it. You see, most of us, we tend to think about God. We need him for the big things in life. We need him for the big tragedies of life. We need him for the big conundrums that we're in. But we think, you know what? Most of life, I have control of. Most of life, I can be victorious. Most of life, I can deal with. But you know that nothing could be further from the truth. Every moment of your life, If you want to see victory in your life, it will come because Jesus Christ has worked in and through you. Period. I don't want you to ever forget the words that without Him, you can do what? Nothing. He doesn't say without Him, you can't do the hard things or the big things or the difficult things. What does He say? That without Him, you can accomplish Nothing of value, nothing of eternal value can you accomplish without him. I always go back and I think about the children of Israel. Here in one moment, you would look at their lives and they come and they defeat a city like Jericho, where they walk around it and you see this miracle and and, and they shout and the walls come down. And in that moment, you have this keen realization that in the bigness of, of what they were facing, this walled city, They didn't have the weaponry that the people inside those walls had. And yet the walls fell. God moved. And the next day, what do they do? They try to go to a city in Ai. (laughs) A minuscule town. Nothing. So small that they say, you know what? We don't even need to send nearly all of the army. And because they didn't get before the Lord in prayer... And because there was sin that they hadn't dealt with, because they hadn't gotten before the Lord in prayer, they went out on their own to conquer something that was seemingly small. What happened to them? They were routed. They were defeated. And the reality is the difference in those two days is just simply on one day God was with them winning the battle, and the next day they were on their own by themselves, and they couldn't even defeat Ai. Folks, if there is a victory, a battle to be won, it'll be from the Lord, and He wants to move in power. I love how He is describing the Lord. He says that He shook the earth, and the earth quaked. He talks about the foundations of heaven trembling. He talks about the fact that fire will come and devour. He comes and talks about the fact that God will come quickly like a cher- or on a cherub. And it says, and he flew and he was on the wings of the wind. It talks about the fact that in the moment that we need him, he is going to quickly be there. And he says, and he goes on, that he thundered from heaven. It says that he spoke and he uttered his voice and, and it was a thunder from heaven. He says that he sent out arrows and he scattered lightning and he routed them over and over these descriptions of God, this powerful God that we served. And David, he recognizes, you know what? I don't get any credit for the victories. He gives glory to the only one who deserves glory. He gives glory to God. 
Folks, I want you to see that God is greater than our circumstances. I don't know about you, I like movies uh, or shows about nature. I like watching shows about animals. I like watching shows about anything to do with nature. Uh, Disney Plus was a great buy because we get Nat Geo and all those things are on there in Discovery and all those, all those movies that have to do with nature are on there. And I watched a show one time about icebergs and I found it very interesting, some things about icebergs because they said as you look out on the water, it's kind of crazy because you can see that there are smaller icebergs that it seems like they're moving one direction. And the reason they're moving one direction is because the small icebergs are primarily above the surface. They don't have a depth to them that goes way down into the ocean. There is a depth and there's probably more under the water than on top, but it doesn't go very deep into the water. So those icebergs are controlled by wind. And so whichever way the wind is blowing, that's the way these icebergs are floating. But there in the same ocean, you can see a much larger iceberg that not only is it larger on top, which is going to make the wind hit it even harder, but it goes down deep into the waters. And those icebergs, they're not controlled by the wind. What do you think they're controlled by? Yeah, they're controlled by the currents of the ocean. And you can look at these icebergs and it's amazing because they seem to be going different directions. And you wonder, how could it be that these icebergs are going two different directions? It's because some of the icebergs are directed by wind. Now, when you think about the wind biblically and scripturally, it's always that idea that the wind, what does it do to us? It just tosses us to and fro, right? That the wind blows whatever direction that it wants and we get blown about by the wind. And that's how most of us live our lives. We are focused on the circumstances of our life and we get easily defeated. We get easily discouraged because our life seems to be going you know, uh, about because of the wind, because of the waves. But I want you to understand that as believers in Christ, there is something greater at work. In fact, there is someone greater at work in our lives. The deeper we grow in our faith, the deeper we grow in trusting Him, the deeper we grow in our willingness to surrender to Christ, understand that as the roots go deeper and as the icebergs grow deeper, you know what really is happening, right? It's the currents that are pushing. Never forget, guys, that no matter what your circumstance, God is still working. You do see that, right? Because we get discouraged because we think we focus on the wind and waves. We think that's what is directing our lives. It's happenstance. It's chance. All these things are happening to me, and, and I'm just a product of, of these weird things that are occurring in my life. That's not true at all. You look at a man like Joseph, and you would say Joseph had a lot of bad luck, right? His brothers hated him, and they, and they sold him into slavery. He goes into a house, and he runs into a woman that falsely accuses him. And he goes off into jail and he's told that he's going to be free because he interpreted some dreams. But then unluckily, right, somebody forgets to tell the king, oh, by the way, we got to get this guy out of jail. And he sits there even longer. And you would look at someone like Joseph's life, who in the beginning had a dream. God gave him a dream. And it must have looked like, you know what, circumstances stink. Circumstances in this occurrence have just done me wrong. And now look at my life. What is it worth? What value could possibly come from my life? At this point, I'm sitting and I'm rotting in a jail, right? Let me ask you a question. From the very beginning of his life, when God gave that dream, you realized that God was taking him somewhere. And see, you can look at the circumstances of his life and think it's chance. You can think that, you know what, it's bad luck. You can think that what's going to happen, you know, that's just, that's just tough what's going on in his life. I guess it's going to amount to nothing. But no, when God wants to move, when God wants to do something, you realize that in a moment everything changes. 
And he went from the prison to the palace just like that. And you know what? He was able to look back, and you know what he realized? He realized at the end of his life the same thing that we realized looking at his life, that in everything, God was moving, fulfilling his purposes, fulfilling his plans, and he was going to be victorious regardless of the circumstances that he was facing. Secondly, I want you to see that the Lord sustains. He protects, but he also sustains in verses 20 uh, on. Let me read it to you. It says, he also brought me forth into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not acted wickedly against my God, for all His ordinances were before me. And as for His statutes, I did not depart from them. I also was blameless towards Him, and I kept myself from iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness before His eyes. With the king, or I'm sorry, with the kind, you show yourself kind. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. With the pure, you show yourself pure. And with the perverted, you show yourself astute. You have, or, and you save an afflicted people, but your eyes are on the haughty whom you abase. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord illuminates my darkness. For by you, I can't run upon a, or I can run upon a troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tested. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is a rock besides our God? God is my fortress. He sets the blameless in his way, or in his way. He makes my feet like hinds feet, sets me on high places. He trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me a shield of the shield of your salvation, and your help makes me great. You enlarge my steps under me, and my feet have not slipped. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them, I, and I did not turn back until they were consumed. I have devoured them and shattered them so that they did not rise, and they fell under my feet. For you have girded me with your strength for battle and have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have also made my enemies turn their backs to me. I destroyed those who hated me. They looked but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. And I pulverized them as the dust of the earth. I crushed and stamped them as mire in the streets. You have also delivered me from the contentions of my people. You have kept me as head of the nations, a people whom I have not known serve me. Foreigners pretend obedience to me, and as soon as they hear, they obey. Foreigners lose heart, and they come trembling out of their fortresses. I want us to see... That not only does the Lord protect, but we find that the Lord sustains. Right off the bat in verse 20 is one of the most amazing verses in the Scripture to me. Because he says that, you know what, in the moments that we find ourselves in these tight places, you all know what tight places are, right? You ever hear the term, I'm stuck between a rock and a what? Rock and a hard place. How many times in our life is that exactly where God finds us? You look at David's life, and you can find that over and over and over. A man on the run, a man hiding in a cave, 
a man whose son is trying to usurp his throne, a man who is stuck in sin, who now is carrying the weight of the guilt and the shame of a sin, probably for over a year, possibly two years, he's carrying this secret, and he must be wondering the whole time, when is God going to deal with me on this sin that I have committed? We know what it's like, every one of us, to feel like we are between a rock and a hard place. But I want you to know that in those moments, God comes and God sets us free, and that God is a God who literally can take us from those tight places and put us into broad places. And let me tell you why he does it. This is crazy to me. It says that he saves us, why? Or he rescues us, why? Because he delights in me. I want you to let that sink in a second. How many of you came in here today honestly thinking that, you know what, God delights in me? Most of us struggle with that because we can't help but look at the struggle. We can't help but see the place that we are in. And sometimes we're struggling in sin. And so we're looking at God and we're wondering, does he love me? Does he see me? Does he care about me? Could he possibly even delight in me? I mean, the thought that God would delight in us is a shocking thought. When we see ourselves for who we are without him, it is a shocking thought that he would love. But I want you to see that we have a God we want to say, you know what? Well, I have to make myself lovable. Folks, that's not why he delights in you. He doesn't just delight in people who are lovable. He doesn't just delight in people who have their lives together. I want you to realize that when it says that he delights in you, he has chosen you to save you, to love you. When Sydney was a little girl, she wanted a cat, and I told her she could finally have it. She wore me down over time. We went into a house of a lady who said that we've got several cats and I want you, you know, you can pick whatever one that you want. And so we went into the house and I mean, some of these cats were beautiful. One, I mean, two, one or two of them were like, they had like a tuxedo on. They were black and they had the white chest and the white paws. And there were some other ones that were orange. And I mean, all these cats. And I was thinking to myself, so many of these are pretty, but I had already identified one and I was like, don't want that one. Well, guess which one Sydney wanted? And I'm thinking, why in the world would you want that ugly cat? I mean, it had, it was just patchy and weird and like it had no order to the color. It was just all over the map. And I thought, who, why? And I asked her, I said, Sydney, why would you not want this? Look at this, but I'm trying to sell her on all the other ones. And she just looked at me in a little tear. And you know what she said? She said, daddy, everybody will want those. But I don't think anybody's going to want this one. And she wanted to take that cat home. And it made me think in that moment of the heart that God has towards Broken people. Ugly people. I don't mean physically, I mean ugly lives. I think about him with the leper. When everyone else is walking away, he's walking too. When everyone else is looking at the prostitute and looking at the tax collector and saying they're not worthy of any kindness, of anything, they're the least of the earth. I mean, you remember how people treated those two groups of people, and yet Jesus would go and share a meal with them and would show them kindness to the point that everybody would question and say, look at you. Look at him. He's a friend to sinners. And he wore that like a badge of honor, didn't he? That's who we are when Jesus found us. When he says that he delights in us, don't think it's because we're the cutest cat 
But I don't know about you, I'm grateful that he saw me in my mess. And he plucked me out of those tight spaces where I had made so many mistakes and backed myself into a corner. And that he loved me enough to rescue me and to save me and to give me a new life. And folks, that's the God that we serve, this God who sustains us even in the tough places. He sustains us even in our, our messes. When David gets to this point in Scripture, I mean, it throws a lot of us off because we look at it and we're like, well, wait a minute. How, you know, this is why, honestly, why some scholars think that this had to be earlier and not later in his life, but I don't think that's necessary. Because they would have said, you know, some of these scholars are thinking to themselves, well, you know what, the reason that, that this has to be early is because he seems to have no recollection of the fact that he committed adultery and committed murder. But folks, I want you to understand the thoroughness of the gospel and what salvation really means and what forgiveness really looks like. There's going to be a day when I'm going to stand before Jesus, and I want you to know that on this side of eternity, it is extremely hard for me to think that I could say the words to Jesus that I'm righteous. Because everything in me wants to say, no, 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 God, I'm not righteous. God, let me count for you my sins, just the ones that I know, not counting the ones that I don't remember or I didn't even realize that I did. I would be so overwhelmed with counting my sins before Jesus. And I want you to know that I'm not going to go before Jesus one day and try to claim that in and of myself, I am righteous. But let me tell you what I do believe that I will be able to confidently stand before God on that day and declare that I am righteous, not because of me, but because of Him. Not because of what I did, but because of what He did. And there is a reality that many of us as believers in Jesus Christ, we live defeated simply because we don't see ourselves the way God declared us to be in Christ. Folks, when He says that He can cast sin as far as east is from west, He means it. When he says that he doesn't remember it anymore, he means it. He's not talking about a divine amnesia, but what he's saying is, I'm not going to hold it against you. You have been justified. You have been declared. I mean, think about those words. Not guilty. You say, how is that even possible? Well, it's very simple. Jesus didn't just die to take your sins. He died to give you His righteousness as well. On the cross, there was a transfer to accounts where all the sin debt that we had, that we owed, Jesus died in our place, taking the penalty of our death, and it was removed from our account and placed on Him. But I want you to know the reason Jesus came. He didn't just show up one day and say, here I am, crucify me. The reason He lived the life that He lived was He came and He was tempted in all ways that we are tempted, and yet He was without sin. He lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. He lived His life saying, God... I'm going to go where you tell me to go. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to say what you tell me to say. And in every way, he honored God. He obeyed God. He was sinless when he died. And all of that righteous life that he lived, that shifted to our account. See, most of us just think about the sin. And we forget about the righteousness. 
And when I stand before God one day, you know what? I'll be able to say with a straight face that I'm blameless. David is not claiming some form of sinless perfection here. I think that's why it's unnecessary to try to have to date it early based just solely on that. Because I believe that David understood the shadow of what was coming, that God can cover sin. That sin can be atoned for. You know what it really boils down to? It boils down to that moment when Nathan stood before the king and the king said, I've sinned against God and God alone. I have sinned, right? And when the prophet said to the king, your sins are forgiven, you know what David did? He believed it. Faith. Guess how everybody that was ever saved in the Old Testament was saved? Faith. Not obeying the law. Not by being righteous enough. No man could stand and honestly say those things about his own life except that he knows he's been forgiven, that he knows his sins have been atoned for, and that he knows that God has declared him not guilty and righteous. Folks, we don't take that kind of grace and gift and just keep on sinning so that that kind of grace can abound, right? Paul dealt with that. He said, that doesn't, that's not a license to sin. That ought to motivate us to take not just the gift of forgiveness, but the gift of the power to stop, the power to change, the power to not just have righteousness accounted to us or imputed to us, but to also realize that there is a practical side to the righteousness God has given, that not only are we seen by God as completely righteous because of what Jesus did, but Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus being resurrected from the grave, the Spirit of God indwelling us, our nature being changed, now gives us the chance to live a different life that honors and pleases God. And you say, well, you know what? I'm going to screw up probably still. Yes, you probably still will. But guess what? If you confess your sin, what's the good news? He's faithful and he's just to do what? And not just forgive us, but what? Cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. That means we go back to white again, pure as snow. Though your sins were as scarlet, what do you say he would do? You think those words were lost on David? I think what you see is a man who recognizes that God took this mess that I was and He's forgiven me and He saved me and now I stand righteous because another has atoned for me. It's faith. I love that it says He sustains us in the darkness as well, not just in the tight spaces or our messes, but even in the darkness. I love Psalm 139 where it simply tells us that the darkness is as light to God. To me, nothing is more paralyzing than darkness. Some of you guys are new to the church. I probably haven't said this in a few years, but you have a pastor that is terrified of the dark. If you want to scare me, put me in a dark room. 
If you want to scare me, make me walk down a dark road by myself and then lurk in the bushes and make noises. You'll see me sprint, and I don't sprint often. A few years ago, the college kids, it must have been two years, they want to take me to one of these scare farms or whatever. And I'm cool with clowns. I'm cool with, you know, axe-wielding weirdos and the chainsaws with no chains on them. That stuff don't bother me a bit. But we walked into one room, and the guy's like, well... For the next three minutes, it's going to be completely black in there, and I thought I was going to have a heart attack. They're all looking at me like, man up, and I knew I had to do it, but I didn't want to do it. Because there's something about being in utter darkness where you can't see. That's a tough place to live in life, isn't it? No control. No sight. No direction. You just feel completely and utterly helpless. We were supposed to just feel our way around the room. Well, yeah, that's a lot of fun. You know what God says to us? He says, you know what? In your darkness, calm down. Because I know where you're going. I know what I'm doing. You can't see. But he says, trust me. Why? Because I can see. And folks, it's not that we're without illumination. That's what I love about the Word of God, is that when He gives us His Word, you realize that even in darkness, like think about the darkness of this world. Think about the the negative. Think about the, the unrighteousness. Think about the fallacies and the falsehoods that we hear day in and day out, and the world seems so dark, right? But what do we have? We have the truth. You know what saved me in that moment? I had a dear friend who I saw coming out before me, and she knows I'm scared of the dark. You know what she said to me? She said, Aaron, there's going to be a room back there that is completely dark, and I know you hate the dark. And she said, just remember what I'm about to tell you. I said, okay. And all she said was left. I'm thinking, okay. When I got in that dark room, and I got to a point because everything was crowding, you know what I mean? It was like we all hit this corner and nobody knew where to go and everybody was getting frantic and I'm in there about to have a heart attack and die. And I'm going to tell you, literally, you know what I heard when I was sitting there in that moment? I just heard, heard, that, I heard that woman say left. And I literally just started working my way around the wall, left, and I found that little trap door thing that everybody needed to get out of. Folks, there are many times, many, many times, that when you hide God's Word in your heart, not only will it keep you from sinning, but I want you to realize that in the darkness that we face, in the dark times that we face, God will speak and He will show you the truth and He will illuminate your path. He will show you where to go. That's the God that we serve. And He says one more thing. He says He also sustains us in our weakness. I love the analogy that's used in this. Again, he just starts talking about victory over enemies and, 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 and various things, how he's our strong fortress and things that he kind of has already said in some of the other verses. But you get down to verse 33, and I love what he says here because he says that God is my strong fortress. He's, I'm sorry. He sets me blameless in his way. And then in 34, he says, he makes my feet like hinds feet and he sets me on the high places Folks, when God finds all of us, He usually finds us in the depths. Would you agree with that? Not on the mountaintop. He usually finds us where when He finds us? He finds us in the valley. 
And I love the imagery of this verse because he says that what he does for us is he takes us in our weakness, in our inability. The first time I really understood this was when I went to Canada, and, and we were in Canada, and I'm looking at this mountain, and it was a huge mountain. And it was one of those things like you, there was no real way to scale it. And, and I'm looking, and I asked Chris Nay, who was our church planner, I said, what is that up there? And I pointed, and he says, oh, that's a goat. And I said, or, or not a goat, uh, has the horn, the ram, one of those big woolly ram things. And I said, how did it get up there? He said, it climbed. And I remember thinking to myself, that is insane. How, how can that animal climb like that? That is impossible. The things that it is doing, if you'd ask a human to do it, I don't know that most of us could have even begun to. And he said, just watch it. He blew his car horn. And not only could it just climb slowly, but I mean, it took off in a run and just climbed up the, the side of this mountain. And, and I was just amazed. And you come to a verse like this and you realize that's exactly what God is saying to you. Is that he gives you the ability as a believer to have, as he says, hinds feet, deer feet in high places. It's literally the image of what I saw in Canada. That's what the scripture is talking about, is that God gives you the ability to climb out of the valley, to climb out of the depths where he found you, and guess what you can do? You can climb to the heights. Don't ever give in and think that, you know what, I've peaked as a Christian. This is as far as I can go. This is all that God can do. I want you to know that God actually gives us promises. He says things like, you know what, He can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. You're, you have no idea what the potential is for God to do in your life, the calling that He could place on your life, the places that He would send you, and you're sitting there looking at it, and you go, we know that would be a mountaintop. For some of you, you'd say, well, I just don't think I speak well. Okay, well, you're in good company, because that's what Moses said, and that's what Jeremiah said, and that's what many people in the Word said. But you know what God said? He says, listen, I got somewhere I want to go, and it's not going to be down here in the valley. It's going to be up here in the heights. I have a purpose. I have a plan. And he's saying, listen, I've given you what you need to climb to the places that I have planned for you. And folks, I pray that you never lose sight of that with God. That should be the reason that you worship. That should be one of the reasons that you celebrate because he takes you out of the tight spaces, the messes, out of our darkness, and he meets us in our weakness and he makes us strong. Never forget that we serve a God who does the impossible over and over and over again. Look at David's life. When he faced a lion, God gave him the ability, even as a young man, to conquer a lion, a bear, a giant, Philistine armies. Over and over, God used this one that everyone else said, you know what, I think you've got the wrong guy. Surely you don't mean this kid is going to be king. But God knew what he was doing, and God met him there, and he gave him hind's feet to climb to the high places. And what I love about David is he never forgot how he got there. It was God that gave him the strength, God that gave him the power, God that gave him everything to be victorious. But folks, the journey is difficult, isn't it? And I want you to hear me, and I want you to 
not get upset when I say it in the beginning. I want you to hear me out. Because when we talk about greatness, it's hard to think that God would desire that of us. But I want you to remember David's words. In this section, he said that God has saved me and God made me great. I'm not giving you a health and wealth theology, but what I am telling you is that God has purposes and plans for you. He doesn't, because see, here's the thing. We get confused sometimes and we think that, that what we're really asking of God to do is that we just want God to make our life easier. That's how we pray a lot of times. Get me out of my suffering. Get me out of the struggle. Get me out. No, what he wants to do is he doesn't want to take you out of the struggle or take you out of the impossible task. What he wants to do is not change the circumstances of your life. He wants to make you great. And why would God do that? So that you would do exactly what David is doing here. So that you will one day sing the praises of what God has done. How He's taking something that was nothing and made it something that ultimately we want to be trophies of God's grace. We sing His praises when we begin to recognize the things that God has done. I'm not talking about riches. I'm not talking about health. I'm not talking about any of those things. I am talking about the simple day-to-day -day life that we live with all the difficulties that come with it. He didn't come to make your life easy. He came to make men great. God doesn't always change our circumstances. But it's interesting because He changes us to meet our circumstances. And that's the difference. He changes us to meet our circumstances. We still have to climb that mountain. He gives us the hinds feet to be able to do it. He gives us all that we need for life and for godliness to make us worshipers of His so that one day we will stand at the end of our life like David and we will worship Him. And he finishes, lastly, with the Lord be praised. Not just the Lord protects and He sustains, but He finishes by telling us that the Lord be praised. He should be lifted up. He should be honored. In verse 47, it says, the Lord lives. And blessed be my rock. And exalted be God, the rock of my salvation, the God who executes vengeance for me, who brings down peoples under me, who also brings me out of or out from my enemies. You even lift me above those who rise up against me. You rescue me from violent men and listen to what he says. Therefore, everything behind what he is about to say right here from 1 to 49, he says, in light of all that we've talked about, therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the nations, and I will sing praises to your name. He is a tower of deliverance to his king. He shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. He says, if you need reasons to praise the Lord, here you go. I love the way it starts. He's alive. Now, how much more for us as New Testament believers should that resonate in our hearts? He is alive. We serve a resurrected King. What David was saying is to the people that are all around him, to the nations that were around him, this was his shout of praise, his bold witness 
that you know what? Any other God that is not Yahweh, it's not a God at all. What he was saying is, you've chosen idols, you've chosen gods that cannot save, and he's lifting up the name of Yahweh so that he can tell the world that the God that I serve is a God who is alive. He can save, he can protect. And then he says that not only is he alive, but he's faithful. I love the way he wraps up this victory song because it's as if he's looking out into the future. And I want you to see what he says. Then when he finishes this, he says, listen, he's the tower of deliverance to the king. He's the one that shows loving kindness to his anointed. And he says to David and his descendants forever. He's looking out and he's not just seeing the faithfulness that God has had in the past, but the faithfulness that God has had in the past is giving him a song to sing about the faithfulness that he knows that God's going to also have in the future. He knows that you know what, his day is coming and he's going to leave this earth and he's going to die. But you know what the reality is? The promises of God, how, how long do they live on? They live on forever. And he knew that God would be faithful to keep someone on the throne, that he would keep this lineage of David going. Why? Because out of the lineage of David would one day come a Messiah, and he's looking out over the rest of his life and looking out into the future and out past his life, and he recognizes one thing is that the God that has been true and faithful to me is going to continue to be true and faithful to my descendants until he fulfills every single promise. Now, folks, what about you? Don't give up on the promises of God because they don't arrive when you think they should. They don't happen as quickly as you think that they should. Don't give up on the promises of God that He has placed on you as a believer in Jesus Christ. Cling to His promises. Cling to the things that He said are true about you because we serve a God who is absolutely faithful. We may waver. We may not keep our commitments. We may struggle in the ways that we struggle, but don't put on God the way that you view yourself. He is faithful. And he says that he's the rock of our salvation. Folks, in Christ, we have an assurance of salvation. He is a rock. He's steady. It's there. We can count on it. It doesn't move. The reality is that because of what Christ has done for us, because of the promise of salvation, because of the cross, because of the resurrection, we can be sure of the salvation that he's given to us. And he says that he is our avenger. And it says that he is worthy. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. And he says, I'm going to give thanks among the nations. As you musicians come this morning, I want you to take a look at your life. Warren Wearsby said something that, that I want to just close with. Because it's true for everyone in this room, he said that your life today may seem hard. How many of you would say, that's me? That my life seems hard? It definitely does for me. Man, y'all must have a lot better life than I do. He 
He said, your life today may seem hard, but he said, you need to keep trusting and you need to keep obeying God. And let me tell you why. Warren Wearsby said, because one day God is going to give you your own victory song. Now, I want you to let that sink in a second. I really believe that you're getting a glimpse of what heaven is going to be. It's going to be that moment when we sit around the throne, the angels, all the saints of old, the kings, the prophets, the disciples. And we're going to sit there one day, and you know what? We're going to sing a song of victory. I truly believe that if we would slow down, we would see what David sees. This God who is my rock and my refuge. This God who can save me from all of my enemies, from death, from the grave, from hell, from the power of sin. We can look at our lives and we recognize then He meets us in our messes and He meets us in the tight places and He meets us in the darkness and in our weakness He comes and He shows Himself strong. I want you to think for a moment, if those things are true and you know those things, why in the world are we going to wait to sit around the throne to sing those songs? I want us to get past the distractions of the circumstances of our life and see that we have a God who is moving and fulfilling His purposes and His plans in us. And the one thing that God wants from you today is He wants you to bring honor and glory to His name today. Not later, not in eternity, but right now, because of all that He is and all that He's done, He literally says to us, because of that, I'm going to sing praises. I'm going to honor God, not just in my life, not just in my sphere right here, but all the way to the nations, I am going to sing His praises. Folks, we have every reason to sing today if we are in Christ Jesus. And if you aren't in Christ, then let me encourage you. Today can be the day that you can be saved. Today, the Bible says you must repent of your sins. Turn from your sins. Follow after Jesus Christ. It means that we confess with God that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of salvation. I need your forgiveness, God. And I confess to you, my sins. Will you forgive me? Most importantly, will you change me? Because if you'll change me and you'll turn this heart around and you'll give me new life, I will follow you. I will turn and repent and I will forsake the way I'm living and I will follow after you. And he says that a man must believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation that He died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and He rose again to give us life. If you believe that today and you've never given your life to Christ, I had a young lady walk up outside after service. She came up to me. She was very shy. I've never met her until today. She looked like she's about 14. And she said, Pastor Aaron, can I speak to you? I said, sure. She said, this weekend at the girls' retreat, the youth went and had a, 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 a young ladies' retreat and a young men's retreat. They all went different directions. She said, yesterday I gave my life to Christ and I wanted you to know that I'm saved. 
and she'd prayed to receive him and she asked for forgiveness and she wants to be baptized. Listen, God is stirring and God is moving. And if you want that same salvation that young lady found this weekend, it is available to you today, right now, in this moment. All you have to do is pray and ask God to save you from your sins, believing that Jesus can do it because of the cross.